Amen. Before I jump into uh, today's message, am I like the only one, like that little cracker? Just like, like my stomach is growling. Like I love communion. I look forward to communion, but sometimes when I eat that little cracker, it just like opens my, my stomach, like feed me, feed me. And then that juice is just not enough. It's just like, I'm still like trying to get the cracker out of, like, gosh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a petition. I'm going to see if we just get like loaves of bread and ju- cups of juice because, whoo, guys. All right, now that I got that off my chest. Good morning, good morning, good morning. My name is Efren Pena. I'm the campus pastor here at South Hills Santa Clarita. It is truly an honor uh, to have you with us this morning, whether you're online or, watch, or he- watching online or here with us this morning. We are in week two of our series, Political Powder Keg, and I've said this last week, and I'll say it again this week. Uh, I'm I'm just not into the politics of stuff. Uh, it's real difficult uh, to share uh, about politics, especially in the time and era that we live in. And so I kind of usually make a sidestep on when it, people start talking about politics. Uh, but this is a series that is designed to make uh, all of us somewhat uh, a bit uncomfortable. Uh, but hopefully in the process make us all better as we discuss religion and politics. Religion and politics. You see, politics have kind of regressed. It's, uh, it's regressed into a zero-sum political battle between two enemies, the, the red team and, and the blue team, the, the elephant and the donkey, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. And because of the constant mudslinging and cutthroat culture of, that, our, uh, that our political parties uh, have embraced, it has become messy, it has become dangerous, and often really uh, painful to talk about uh, politics. But I want you to hang tight with me this morning because this series, Political Powder Keg, is not about how you vote not about how you vote or what happens when you take the red pill or the blue pill. You take the blue pill and the story ends and you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. But if you take the red pill, you stay, you, you, you stay in a wonderful uh, place in, in Wonderland and I'll show you how deep the rap. Anybody know, know what I'm talking about? Matrix fans? Okay. Right. We'll keep it going. You're not Matrix fans. Anyway. But this series is really about how you relate. How you relate. In other words, we are less interested in your, in your politics than we are in how you talk about politics. In how you interact with other people about politics. Because as we'll see, that's what Jesus cared the most about. Your relationship with other people. How you related to other people. And so today's message title is, How Could They Think That? How could they think that? In other words, how can they think that of you? Or how can they think that? Right? A friend shared this story with me, and maybe you can relate today. And he said, a few years back at a friend's house, my son was upset and told me a buddy of his didn't want to play with him. Being the amazing and wonderful father that I am, I got down on the floor and began playing toys with him. I quickly noticed, though, that everything I chose to do, 
everything that I chose to do uh, with the toys was wrong. No, Dad. That one does not go there. No, Dad. That one does not say that. No, Dad. Now he has to do this. It quickly became clear that I was not allowed to make any decisions. And he was unwilling to make any adjustments. After a few minutes, he picked up all of his toys and went to his mom saying, Dad doesn't want to play with me. Can anyone relate? The son was unwilling to see the dad's perspective, to talk about how things could be or let him have any influence or say. No differences were allowed. And when they became apparent, the son didn't want, didn't want to be around him anymore. Now, he was just a kid. But the sad reality is that many, many adults act the same way. No differences allowed. Have you been around someone like that? It almost seems like that is their motto, no differences allowed. In fact, you've maybe experienced this in your workplace, maybe in your neighborhood, or even at family gatherings. Let me take it one step further. Maybe you've experienced this at church. Listen, many people would rather leave their church family and their political party. Boom, I said it. Think about that. Many people would rather leave their church family than to leave their political party. I didn't know you were so close to that person. In fact, over the last four years, there have been people that have made this exact decision left their church family to be closer to their political family, especially here in California. And I find it interesting, though, because I haven't heard stories of people leaving their political party to go be with their church family, to be closer to their church family. And I think the primary thing that is driving this this, this misconstrued perception or understanding is fear. Fear is the primary tool and fuel used in politics. Cherie Harder, whose professional career uh, has been woven through politics, um, including special assistant to the president and director of policy and projects uh, for First Lady Laura Bush, said this, dwelling on fear and outrage is spiritually deforming. Dwelling on fear and outrage is spiritually deforming. And the reason it's spiritually deforming is because fear entices us to place our faith, right? And it, it, it kind of propels us, it entices us to put our faith in the person 
or the party or the platform that promises that promises to protect us from whatever they're convinced that they've convinced us to be fearful about including the church member or family member sitting across the room from us You see, it's becoming increasingly common for us to be more comfortable around people that align with us politically than around people who share the same faith as us. See the outer amen. So what exactly, what exactly do we fear? What exactly do we fear? I'll tell you what we fear. We fear loss. Loss of control, loss of opportunity, loss of wealth, loss of culture, our freedom, our progress. We're in this time, we're in this time in our culture when, when, when everyone is peddling fear. Everyone is, is dishing it out. Everyone is, is pushing it out to people and they want people to grab onto this fear. And if we're not careful, we'll fall victim to it. We'll fall victim to it. If we're not careful, we're going to act on it. And eventually we'll become divided by it. This matters because Christians, us believers, have decided to judge, to interact with, to resent to separate from, to point the finger at, and even hate other Christians based on political differences. I don't know if James remember this, remembers this, but we were at the gym. Most of our conversations have been at the gym, but he decided to talk about political pro, uh, some of the political stuff that he was he wanted to really talk about, it, and I kind of just kept mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not that I didn't align with him or, or did align with him. I just didn't want to, I, just, I didn't want anything to interfere with a relationship that was kind of growing. But we've all been around someone who is a believer in Christ and yet has done these exact same things. They have pointed the finger. They have aggravated a situation, poured fuel on it, especially with another believer. How can you claim to love Jesus and vote that way? How can you call yourself a Christian and align with that president? Ugh, the nerve. How could you love your neighbor and yet support that policy? Friends, I think too many people are making judgments on someone else's value and health based on the wrong thing. Based on the wrong things. And we're responding. We're responding in the wrong way. And we're ultimately causing divots and dents and fractures in the body of Christ. We're causing damage to the body of Christ, to the church. Because we've allowed fear, the fear that is being spewed and, and pushed out by politicians and political parties, we've allowed them 
to hurt the church. Jesus said what? A divided house cannot stand. A divided house cannot stand. According to Jesus, having a fractured, split body that is overwhelmed with infighting, right, is the opposite of what his heart desires. In fact, Jesus spent time praying on this, a quite significant amount of time praying on this. Jesus was aware of uh, was aware that 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 this was a this was this was a danger zone, right? He was aware that this was a danger, not politics, but division. He knew what division would bring about. In John's gospel, he writes about this time before Jesus, before he was arrested, right, at the end of his life. And it says 17, uh, John 17, 1, after saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that he can give glory back to you. Verse 11, now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be what? United, just as we are. Verse 20 and 21, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who, who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be what? All one. Right, Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may, and may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Verse 22 and 23, I've given them the glory that you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect what? Unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you loved them as much as you loved me. So let's break this down a little bit. Protect them so that they may be united. That was Jesus' prayer for his disciples so that they may be united. Not only for these disciples, it says, but for all those who will ever believe in me through their message. The first century Jews, the Gentiles, the Romans, the women, the slaves, the soldiers, the educated, the poor, the wealthy, you name it. But it also says, right, it also says today, the 21st century, it includes us today. The blacks, the white, the Hispanics, the rich, the poor, the single, the, the married, the Republican, the Democratic, the Californian, the Mexicans, and even the Filipinos. Yep, even the Filipinos. <laughs> I love you guys. It says, may they experience such perfect unity. Then he goes, then the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. In other words, our unity, our oneness impacts the ability for the world to know God's love. And so the moments that we let politics bring fear into our lives and separate us, divide us, 
the world will not come to know about Jesus' love, about God's love. Jesus had an unlimited, he had an unlimited list of things to pray about before he was arrested and crucified, and yet he chose unity and oneness. There were so many things he could have prayed about. He chose unity and oneness. Perhaps he knew something that, that we didn't. Right? Perhaps he knew something that we didn't. Andy Stanley, who's a pastor and author, put it this way. Your candidate will win or lose based on how America votes on a Tuesday in November. But the church, the church will win or lose based on our behavior every day between now and then. We must not let anything or anyone divide us. Church, let me be clear. This doesn't mean that we will always uh, agree on everything. Well, unity is, is, is not a utopia, right? It's hard work. It takes hard work to be unified. Difference is inevitable, right? Differences are inevitable. But division is a choice, church. We choose to be divided. We choose to, 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 to put cracks and dents into the church. Our overall unifying purpose as followers of Jesus is to share love, share the love and the hope of Jesus with the world around us, right? That's the great commission. To share the love and the hope with those around us. We prioritize this in our lives because as Christians, we believe that Jesus is king. Right? We believe that he is king and that we live in this earthly kingdom according to his earthly kingdom. That your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? That's what we pray. And friends, just so that we're on the same page, the enemy of the church is not the other political party. I want, you to, I want to be clear with that. I'm not saying that the enemy of the church is the Republican Party, the enemy of the church is the Democratic Party. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that even the people in those parties are the enemy of the church. The enemy of the church is division. The enemy of the church is division. So how do we get past this, right? How do we get past this and move forward? I think it's very simple, but it's not easy. Church, we must choose people over politics and unity over party. We need to choose People over politics and unity over party. We must choose to love one another even when we disagree and are hurt by the other. John 13, 
34 and 35 says, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciple. You see, all of it, everything, it all comes back to love. It all comes back to love. No matter how much we try to complicate it, try to deter from it, try to write our own script, it all comes back to love. It's all based out of love. In fact, we can only love because he first loved us. Jesus gave us a command, not a suggestion, church. He also didn't leave love up to our interpretation. Right? He gave us an example. He says, as I have loved you. Now, I need everyone to grasp this, right? I need you to hold on to this. You see, we can choose to follow Jesus, but we do not get to choose what following Jesus looks and sounds like. We all have a choice to say yes to Jesus. But the minute you say yes to Jesus, you can't start writing your own script on what that should be like or what that looks like. He's already written it. He's already told us what what following Jesus would look like, what following me would look like, what love is, is really about. You can't go off script on this. Can't all of a sudden be a writer and try to write this out. It's already been etched. It's already been engraved. Because this life that he's called us to live looks and sounds like his life. Oh, but Pastor, I don't like doing this part of it. Oh, I don't like what Jesus says this. Or that doesn't, that's not me. You're right. It's not you. You're the problem. That's why we need Jesus. So we can look and be more like Jesus. That is what a a Christian is, to be more like Christ. It's not an Ephraism. Hey, you want to be an Ephraim? No. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like Christ. So practically, church, what does it look like for us to pursue unity towards our brothers and sisters? In other words, how do we live this out? How can we disagree politically and still love unconditionally? How can we acknowledge and understand differences while avoiding division? Let me, let me quickly give you three things. Number one, humility, right? Humility, it starts with the recognition that you are broken, imperfect, and fully loved. I am broken, imperfect, and I am fully loved. Generally speaking, we're we're comfortable admitting that we don't have it all together when it comes to our faith. I've said it thousands of times from this platform. We're all imperfect. We're all imperfect. We're all trying to be better. How, do, how can we live and be, how can we do, how can we be and, 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 and live a better life? 
the life that God wants us to live. But in other areas of our lives, we are often all overly confident in our knowledge, in our perspective, in our understanding. The gift of the internet is that we have access to so much, so much, a wealth of information. But the challenge is that it creates a false sense of, of expertise. I think it would be wise for us to pursue what is called, uh, 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 gosh, um, I think it would be wise to, to, to pursue what is called, uh, 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 I can't even pronounce this word, uh, Jesus Christ, help me here, I'm drawing a blank here. Anyway, it's a different sense of humility right now, a sense of understanding that we do not know it all, that we do not know it all. That we're not in a situation of like, yeah, I've got it all together. I've got all the answers to it all. It's the understanding that, that we're still trying to figure it out. And there are things going on in our world that we don't know. And we're trying to see how to position ourselves to be better. There's another way to go about it, right? Instead of always trying to be right, uh, try just focusing on being less wrong. This approach invites us to start from a place where we acknowledge that we still have much to learn. We still have much to learn. In addition to general knowledge, we must also recognize that we are sinful and broken people, saved and loved, of course, but still being transformed to be made new. Pridefully, we villainize other people and parties, and we forget Jesus' teaching on the speck, uh, the speck and the log. We are all flawed and blind to how our sinfulness contributes to the world around us and only focus on the bad guys. But what if we said, man, I, I don't always have it together. I don't always know it all. I am flawed. Number two, perspective. Where you stand depends on where you sit. In other words, in many ways, our cultural context, where we sit, determines our perspective, where we stand. Where we sit determines where we stand. Anna, anybody ever heard of um, Anna, anamorphic illusions? Right? It's the illusion where you see something, but you cannot see it for what it really is, or the artist is trying to, to, to show you until you move around and get it from the right, exact right angle. Anybody seen that kind of art? There's a guy by the name of Felice Ferrani, and he talks about this, and he says, when seen from most angles, art appears to be incoherent blotches of color painted on buildings, streets, and sidewalks. The viewer must move around the space or the street to discover the single vantage point intended. Only then will the image snap into alignment and incredible, uh, uh, with incredible clarity. 
It reminds us that our perspective makes all the difference in understanding the world around us. Our political views, church, are shaped by so many things. Where we live, our family of origin, our education, our experiences in life, our careers. Your personal lived experience is prime is primary in shaping how you view policy or politics. In order to recognize how your perspective is different, not necessarily better than others, this third step is crucial. It's proximity. Proximity. We can't build fences in someone else's kingdom. We cannot build fences in someone else's kingdom. There's an old African uh, proverb that says, from afar, it's a monster. From From a distance, it's an animal. From close, it's a person. Face to face, it's a brother. We become all too comfortable with separating ourselves from others based on their political learnings. In fact, so many of it uh, is given per- so many for so many, it's given permission to dehumanize others. There's a study in Stanford research, right? They've documented that while social norms have thankfully made this uh, uh, made this purging, uh, this purging behavior uh, and derogatory language towards others, uh, to, toward other races, genders, and religions unacceptable. There are no corresponding pressures to moderate disapproval of political opponents. In fact, the rhetoric and behavior of party leaders suggests to voters that it is perfectly acceptable to treat opponents with disdain. In this sense, individuals have greater freedom to discriminate against out-of-party supporters. So even in politics, it's almost seen like it's okay. It's okay to, to, to bash each other. It's okay to, to separate. Simply stated, politics is the one place in our society where hatred and disgust of the other is still accepted and at times even applauded as patriotic. Much of the news we've consumed to stay informed doesn't help us see other people the way Jesus sees them. Even if we disagree on policy, we're still expected to view and love people a certain way, church. Even if we disagree, even if we don't see it the same way, we can go as far back as the Ten Commandments, as far back as the Ten Commandments, to see that we're not supposed to bear false witness, to lie, to slander against our neighbors. Well, I, I don't think it's correct to view those with political differences as enemies, even if, if that were the case, we seem to have forgotten that our love, right, that the love of our enemy is one of the primary marks of Jesus. 
of being his follower. So let me, let me wrap this up here. If you want to be able to talk about politics without torching, destroying your relationships, you need to choose to love people, to love people, even when you don't love their policies, even if you don't agree with the things that they agree about politically. Allowing differences while fighting against division. Can you allow differences and still be united in heart? The most Christ-like thing that you can do this week, church, might be to pray for unity. To pray for unity between you and other Jesus followers that you've distanced yourself from over these last few years. So much has transpired over these last four years. So much separation has happened. So much division within the church has unfolded. So not only can we or should we pray for the unity between you and other Jesus followers that you've distanced yourself from, but then embrace humility. Humility. Acknowledge perspectives and pursue proximity with people, especially the ones that you disagree with. Maybe you've never seen this before, maybe you have, but there's an equation that I want to share with you right now. Prayer plus action equals faithfulness. Not only are we called to pray about the situations, about the relationships that we're in, about the things that we have said and done and hurt and caused people, but it's called, we're also called to take action to do something about it, to move in a way that pleases the Lord and brings about unity. That is being faithful. That is showing faith. Jesus' prayer request wasn't that we would address suffering, although he told us to do that. His prayer request wasn't that we would fight for justice, although he told us to do that. Jesus' prayer request wasn't even that, that we would value life, although he told us to do that. Jesus' prayer request was that we would be one. That we would be one because he knew that if we could remain one, that the world would believe in the power a loving God. But the world would believe that our God is capable. That our God can. That our God will. So his prayer was, was, that, was that we would be one 
and united. So this week, I want you to take note. Do you feel more camaraderie with people you share your faith or agree with your politics? Just take note where you stand. Are you aligning up with people that are 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 your a part of your political party or part of your political beliefs? Or are you lining up and loving people that you share your faith in Jesus Christ with? Think of it as food for thought. And just in case you thought that this is not a big deal, and just in case you thought that maybe it is a big deal and nothing can be done about it, I want you to check out this story from one of our campuses. Take a look. Can you state your name and if you're Republican or Democrat? My name is Rick and I'm a... My name's Ed and I'm a... I'm very set in my ways when it comes to certain things. We did have very different opinions, and we are very strongly willed people and are very strongly verbal about how we feel about certain subjects. I may be right, I may be wrong, uh, but I'm very passionate about things. We really butted heads a lot of times on that. Sometimes uh, almost came to blows a couple times. <laughs> I, I, I want to say it was Easter Sunday. I think it because we were wearing hats and you threw a hat at me and I threw it back. <laughs> that particular Sunday, service was over and we had stepped outside into the courtyard and we started talking about a particular topic that quickly escalated into quite a heated discussion. From there, it came to the point where if either he or I didn't literally take a step back it would have been taking a step forward for a very different reason. I stormed off, he stormed off. Our wives were like, what in the world is going on? I remember saying, he's not welcome in my house ever. Never again is he welcome in my house. Like I said, if I didn't walk away, we might have thrown blows. Uh, and, and like I said, in re retrospect, it's so silly to think about, but I think it's and on both of our parts, it's this indignation that how dare you don't agree with my opinion that, that has to be the only possible truth. So moving forward from that particular Sunday, it was a struggle, but we're married to two sisters that love each other very much. So it was a little unfair and challenging for them, and I'm sure very tense and I think at that particular time, it wasn't taking much for either Rick or I to blow the top. I was very disrespectful and I didn't realize it at the time because I was being too busy being right. Ed was the one who uh, extended the, the olive branch and the fact that he was willing to do that really touched me. For me or where I started to see things a little bit differently was the fact that I couldn't divorce him, right? We're family, and you're not going to avoid family your whole life. I mean, I guess you could, but that's really no way to live. So we started to try to find things that were a little bit more common ground. 
we went and saw Kiss together. <laughs> and that was the beginning of uh, the mending of our relationship. And I took responsibility for my part, and he did the same. And we realized that it's just not anything worth fighting over. It made life easier for everybody, for Rick and I, but for the entire family as well. I mean, you don't realize how much you're affecting an entire group of people when you're so into your political beliefs. It was during a church sermon that it really convicted my heart that particular day for some reason. God is like, love your neighbor like yourself. Not if he has the same political views as you. Love everyone regardless of whatever their beliefs are. I've never been so convicted that those relationships are so far more important than your belief in a political party. I'll be the first one to say that this has been one heck of a road trip, right, that we've been on. And it's one that didn't start out well at all. But I think that we understood that regardless of how we feel politically, our tie both as Christians and as family members is more important and has more value than any political side of anything that we can talk about or disagree with. I've come to learn and accept that I love you as a brother. And family is way more important than any disagreement we can have over some stupid political issue. And I think something else we've come to realize, too, and I think is a great part of our relationship, is we need each other. Yeah, we do. We're, we're married to we're sisters. We're married to sisters. <laughs> so we, we become good allies despite our differences politically. And I think that's a great thing. And like I said, I, regardless of how you feel about things politically, I've come to respect you and love you as a brother. Incredible story. The unity and oneness. Would you stand with me? Uh, we're going to sing one more, a little bit, just a little bit more uh, as we end our time in worship. But as we do so, I want you to just, just posture your heart in love and unity, love and unity, love and unity through all of it. Today we're talking about politics, religion and politics, but it might be something else might be relationships with your family members. might be relationship with your spouse. might be relationships with your children. might be relationships with your friends. God has called us to be one, to love and be united. Amen.